Hey, my wife Jenny and I celebrated 20 years of marriage on August the 1st, and uh, pretty excited about that. It's really kind of hard to believe, you know, it's gone really fast and uh, been great years, and uh, I really love uh, my wife, and I enjoy her, and I know that I speak on behalf of her and our family when I just say we love being a part of Genesis and uh, doing life with all of you, and I love Jenny so much that I got her a brand new pair of socks for our anniversary. I, I kid you not. And uh, here, here's the thing. We're not big gift givers. And we had taken a cool trip in July. and We've done some things around our house. And so uh, a couple of days before our anniversary, I said to her, I'm like, are we, are we getting each other anything? And, you know, we do that. And, and she said, well, yes, but I, I've only spent like $15. And so I was like, perfect, all right? Because that's what I was thinking too. And so I went and I, I got her a nice pair of socks, all right? I was in a nice pair of running socks. And if you're a runner, you can appreciate a really nice pair of running socks. Well, the morning of our anniversary came and uh, Jenny gave me her gift first. All right, and she walked up to me and handed me a photo album, this very thoughtful uh, gift that took time. Uh, her $15 was a little misleading in that she put a very nice note together as well as 20 pictures of 20 years together. The first one here, you can see it on the screen, back to one of our uh, uh, wedding receptions or uh, showers that we had, a couple shower. And man, you want to talk about the moment of like wanting to hide your gift. Like, I mean, the words were like, what, you did something nice? Like you put time and thought into this? And so I I handed her my not-so-thoughtful, you know, pair of socks, and I know that I'm not going live it, to live it down. I know she got a story to tell for the rest of our lives now of the time that I gave her socks for 20 years. Now, you might ask, why socks, all right? Well, here's the thing. So we're both runners, and about eight weeks ago, we came up in this moment of insanity, this idea that to celebrate 20 years, we should run a marathon together. And so that's what we've been up to the last eight weeks is we've been running all the time and we get Fridays off together. So we're doing our long runs together. And well, she's got some really nice socks uh, to run these long runs in. But here's the thing for me. And if you've ever done any marathon training before, this is the first time around for me. Maybe some of you have been there. Like when I think about my training, where I think about where I am physically right now, here's where I am right now. And, and there is where I ultimately hope to be come November, all right? And, and knowing all of the struggles and, and the pain in between right now, I think we've all got a story. We've all got different aspects of our life where we understand this here to there. Like may, maybe for some of you, maybe you've got a fitness goal or maybe you've got a weight loss goal. And so this is where you are right now. Uh, but you know where you'd ultimately like uh, to be. Maybe it's a dream job for you, a, a career path that you're on. And so here's where you are right now, but uh, there's where you'd like to be. And so the in-between is the education. It's uh, the networking. It's the time uh, spent getting to where you want to be. The same would be true of school. I mean, as you approach college or grad school, I mean, maybe there's a school that you ultimately hope to attend, but you don't have the test scores yet. And so you're working towards that or, uh, you know, may, maybe for you, maybe this has everything to do with your relationships. Uh, maybe you're in your marriage right now. You'd say, you know, this is where I am right now and it's okay, uh, but this is where we'd ultimately like to be. Or if you're single and you hope to marry one day, again, where you are right now or ultimately where you hope to be. We've all got these different aspects of where we are and where we'd like to be. The same is true when it comes to our finances. 
I mean, think about how true that is. I mean, for every single one of us, as we think about our finances of, of where we are, where we'd like to be, or where you've been, and where you are now, I mean, you know, maybe here for, for some of you, maybe it, it represents a pile of bills and a mountain of debt. It's not where you want to be, right? Uh, maybe here for you represents all of the things that you'd love to have. It's, you know, their kitchen, or it's to be his car, or to be on that kind of vacation, but this is just reality for you right now. I mean, this is where, we, we, you know, you'd love uh, to be. Sometimes it's a matter of, well, you've got everything I could ever want. I've got enough money to do whatever, but the significance just isn't there, or the satisfaction isn't there. And so there's something missing in between. And so I think for so many of us, especially when it comes to our finances, here is a place of worry. Uh, here is a place where maybe we feel like we lack fulfillment. Uh, here is a place of fear. Here is a place of great anxiety. And the good news is uh, that's, that's not where God wants us to be, you know, as, he, as we think about our lives and what God wants to do in us. He, he doesn't want us to live a here sort of a life. There's a, a there kind of life, especially when it comes to our finances too. Now, what's the there when it comes to our finances? Well, there's a place of security. Uh, there is a place of satisfaction and contentment. There is a, a place of significance where we see our role and our part uh, in even greater ways in this world. And so the question that we want to wrestle with today and really over these next few weeks is, how do we move from here to there uh, when it comes to our finances? How, how do we move from here to there when it comes to the way we view our money or the, the worry around our money and maybe where we'd ultimately love to be and even the consideration of where God would love to take us? And so if you're new to all this, we just want you to know that here at Genesis, we believe that God, through his word, provides wisdom for daily living, uh, and this is what we're seeking with our lives, and that he's kind of got a here-to-there plan for every single one of us in so many aspects of our lives, but especially in the way that we view our money. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look to the Bible uh, for guidance, all right, so we can think about some of the steps that we might take, or maybe there's one particular step that he would like for every single one of us to take together over these next few weeks. And again, uh, you know, for you, if you're new to all of this, if you're not sure what you think about the Bible, if you're new to church, or maybe you've been away from it for a long time, maybe you got burned by church, you know, the question that you might have to wrestle with is like, well, could this be true? Or, you know, even if you're, if you're not really at a place where you're ready to trust all of it, it's like, what, what difference could this make in my life if I were to apply some of these things? But again, as Christians... Uh, as, as Genesis Church, we're just doing the best that we can to take our direction from God's word and then thinking about how we live our lives. And we believe he's got a plan for each of us. And we also believe at the same time that he wants to do something really special through our church. And we've had a great 15 years together and we're dreaming about the next 15. And so we believe he wants to do some special things that's going to require every single one of us. And so I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible with you today, to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, it's about halfway through the New Testament. That's the second half of your Bible. All right, halfway through the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6 or page 831, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room. Again, our goal in this series is to get every single one of us thinking, me included. You know, what's, what's something God wants to do in me? Where, it is, where is it that I am right now when it comes to the way I see the finances that I've been provided, and where might I like to be? Or what would God like to do through me? And not only that, but do through our church 
these next few weeks together. And so 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the kind of the founders, uh, the great fathers, excuse me, of the Christian faith and church. And he's writing to one of his disciples or apprentices, a man by the name of Timothy. And so this is the first of two letters. There's a 1 Timothy and a 2 Timothy written by Paul to Timothy. And Paul lives shortly after the time of Jesus. And once an opponent to Christianity, he eventually surrendered all of his life and all of his work to serving the Lord. And he loved the Lord and he committed his life to be a missionary and to starting new churches. And his disciple Timothy was assigned to lead and guide a fairly new church that Paul had, had played a significant part in starting in a city, a place called Ephesus. And so with this letter to Timothy, all right, Paul uses it as a way of encouraging. He provides wisdom and guidance to help encourage Timothy on how to best influence and lead this young church. And what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to take everything he's learned from Jesus, all right, and apply it, give it to Timothy, again, so Timothy can use these things to encourage these Christians and how they should live and how they should view their finances and how they should live their lives here on this earth. And what he's challenging them with, it applies to us too. And that's what we believe about this, all right? That these words are true. These challenges are the same for us as well. And so something else that I want you to see is what, what, what he's trying to do with Timothy here to pass on two individuals in the church. Like he's got something in mind for the church as well. And so Paul's thinking, hey, this is where this church in Ephesus is right now. And this is where I'd love to see them go. The same is true for us at Genesis. Here's where we are now. And where is it that God wants to lead us? What would it look like if every single one of us got on board in trusting him for greater things? So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, let's read it together. Paul writes this, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world. Now stop there because Ephesus was a, a thriving city really at this time. And while every person in the church might not have considered themselves to be rich, all right. The reality is that compared to the rest of the world, they were very rich people. It was a very rich city. Now, take this. Before I go on, I realize that maybe for some of you, you might already want to check out here as you're thinking, well, I'm not sure what he has to say next, but if he's going to compare me to somebody that's rich, that's definitely not me. That's definitely not where we are right now. But before you disqualify yourself, I just want you to consider this. There's a website out there. You might want to copy this down. You can check this out for yourself. But a website called Global richlist.com, all right, globalrichlist.com, and this website gives you the ability to see how rich you are in comparison to the other 7 billion people on the planet. And here's how it works. It's real simple. If you go there for yourself, you can simply plug in your household income, and then it will tell you how you fare compared to the rest of the world. So here's what I did. I, I went back and took a look at Indiana's numbers. Now, these date back to 2016, and according uh, to, the, to the Indiana government, it says that the median household income, all right, median household income for Hamilton County all right, for 2016 was $92,000. Now, again, this doesn't represent everyone, all right? Again, this is an average in our county, all right? But that would put us, get this, that would put us in the 0.09% of the richest people in the world, all right? Hamilton County, that's where we fare right now. And so on a global scale, like that's ridiculous wealth. That's insane wealth. I mean, the top 0.9% means that you would be the 5 millionth richest person in the world. Now, that may not sound too high, but look at, at it like this. Like if 1,000 people from around the world were to gather in one room, there's a really good chance that you would be the richest one in there. Now, 
I don't want to overlook the fact, again, that times can be very difficult and that for some of you right now, maybe you're in transition, maybe there's been a a job loss, or maybe you're just at a place where you don't make just that. But I I just want you to see the point, you know, again, of where we live and where we are compared to the rest of the world. And and, and so the rich here, all right, and and referring to these people at rich, like the Apostle Paul's not talking like Kylie Jenner rich or Mark Zuckerberg rich or anything like that. He's just saying, hey, when it comes to these people of Ephesus, compared to the rest of the world, you're very rich. And I think the same has to be true for us. Hey, if you live in Hamilton County, if you live in central Indiana, like, you're very rich. I mean, there's an abundance. There are resources that we have that we don't need to feel guilty about, all right? But there's, there's a privilege. There's a responsibility, what Paul is getting at. And so he continues. He says this again, verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. So listen up. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice that Paul is distinguishing between two different realities here, two different places that you can be in your life, that for this church, for us as Christians, you and me, he's describing what it means to put your money or your faith or your hope in money, all right, and the difference between putting your faith and hope in God. And so here is a life of uncertainty and fear, and there is a place of trusting. It's a different perspective. It's a way of understanding that everything that I have and need comes from the Lord. He is the provider of all good things. And notice how Paul's words suggest that if we have a decent amount of stuff, we're going to tend. There's going to be this struggle, if you would. I think we all understand this struggle to put our hope in money. And why? Well, because Paul knows the influence it can have. He knows the lure. He knows the temptations. He knows how quickly we can look for money to, to bring us security. We know how, he knows how quickly we look to money to bring us satisfaction or to bring us things like significance. But the truth is that money can't do those things. Or even if it does, it's a false reality. It's a, it's a temporary sort of thing. And so we look for security and satisfaction in it, but it always lets us down. Money can't get us from here to there when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our trusting. In fact, Jesus talked about the dangers of this. Uh, He realized that money becomes like a master, how quickly it becomes a master to us, or an idol, if you would, or uh, Tim Keller calls it a counterfeit God. Here's what he writes. He says, we become a slave to it. Tim Keller says this about it. He says, money is one of the most common counterfeit gods there is. When it takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening. It controls you through your anxieties and lusts. And it, and it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. I know that. I've been guilty of that. And just think about the control it has over us. Like think about how often maybe you fight with your spouse about things like money. Or uh, think about how money influences us to make judgments of other people. Or we worry about it. We're anxious about not having a month. Like, like enough, the, the fear of of not having enough, like it can consume you and it consumes your whole life. And if if we're not careful, I mean, what what Jesus says, what what Timothy Keller says here is it becomes like a God for us. Like we start looking to it to do things for us that only God was ever intended to do. If you don't hear me say anything else today, just hear this. There, There is a God who loves you, deeply loves you, and cares about you. And he doesn't want you putting your hope in money. He doesn't want us putting our faith in money. He's got something greater in mind for every single one of us of every age. And if we're, if you consider, like if we're willing to trust him with our salvation, if we're willing to trust him with our forgiveness and our eternity, 
Why is it that we struggle so much in trusting him when it comes to our finances? And so he doesn't want us settling for a life of fear. He doesn't want us settling for a life of greed. He doesn't want us settling for a life of anxiety. He wants to free us from these things, to free us from the grip, to be relieved from the pressure and stress because he's got something else in mind for his people, for you and me as followers of Christ and where you are right now in your life and maybe where you'd like to be. He's got something for each and every one of us, a feeling of security and significance and satisfaction that can only come from him. Here's what he says. Paul says it clearly in verse 17. It's right in the middle there. He says, but instead, hey, I want you to put your hope in God. And money's going to be the tug of war. It's going to be one of the greatest challenges, the greatest counterfeit gods that you'll come up against. But I want you to put your hope in God. And how do you do that? Well, the answer might surprise you, but look at these next words, verse 18. And so Paul gets them thinking about these next steps. He says, hey, Timothy, I want you to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, Paul says the key to moving from a place of worry and frustration to a place of fulfillment and trust and hope, well, it's this this vehicle called generosity, if you would. That there's just something that starts happening in you when you begin practicing a life of giving and generosity. And generosity isn't something that God just wants from you. It's something he wants for you because he knows, and I think we all know, what generosity can do to your heart. And if you've ever given a gift before and you've ever seen that gift be used in some amazing ways, well, you know what it does in you and even for you, you know, as you see that gift at work in somebody else's life. And so here's what we're after. If we really want to take God at his word, all right, believing that generosity is a big part of the process, then the question we have to ask ourselves is where do we begin? Like where do we get started in this journey from here to there? And the good news today for you is if you're brand new to all of this, if you're still kind of checking things out, maybe you've never started giving, maybe you've never even considered the thought of giving something like a church, you know, to give back to the Lord through a church like Genesis, this is a good place to be today because we're just kind of very foundational level of giving, giving, getting started in giving. Somebody of you have already moved beyond this. Uh, maybe some of you have been around for a long time, but you know, you know how difficult it is to take these first steps. Well, again, my hope is that over the next few weeks, we'll all take a step together. But maybe for some of you today, well, this has everything to do with taking that first step, kind of a baby step, if you would, and getting started in this life of generosity. And so we call this, if you're taking notes, becoming an initial giver. Uh, it's just a term we've used, and I have some friends at other churches that have used a similar word. And it's just because what, what does it mean to become an initial giver? If we're going to see this as taking steps and moving from here to there when it comes to our, our financial life and in our giving or our desire for generosity, like what's the first step? And for some people, that first first step is becoming an initial giver. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving a lot, all right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you make a lot of money, but it's just saying, hey, I'm willing to take a step, all right? I'm willing to, to try this, to put my faith in the Lord and to see what comes from it. And so let me give you three practical steps that I think go along with kind of characteristics of being an initial giver. And maybe this describes where some of you are or would like to be today. And the first thing is this, it's just to, to, to take up a practice in your life of giving first, all right, you just start learning to give first. Uh, uh, in Proverbs, Solomon writes it like this. He says, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. 
All right, we believe this is direction for us as followers of Christ. So we are to honor the Lord with our wealth, with our finances. He says, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, this was an agricultural society. And so the first part of the harvest was really valuable because it was the only part of the harvest that you could be guaranteed. All right, you could be guaranteed of. Like we have some tomatoes in our garden right now. All right, and if we were to pick those today, that would be our first fruits, all right, from our harvest. And if we were to get a hailstorm later this afternoon and destroy the, the tomato plants, well, the only thing we were guaranteed of was the first fruits, all right? And so you kind of understand how this works, that the first fruits is the only thing that's a guarantee. I mean, again, inclement weather may come, all right? And so you are trusting by giving from your first. Now, most of us are not farmers, all right, maybe some of you are, but each paycheck is like a monthly harvest. And the temptation is, and, and I've been there, to take care of all of your needs first. And then if maybe there's some left over, well, then maybe we'll give from time to time or you'll give something back to God through your church. But giving first before you do anything else, well, again, you just see how this is a, a step of faith. I, I'm trusting, I am putting my hope in someone else, all right? And so by doing this, what you're saying is, God, I, I'm giving back to the good of your work in this world. I am doing something in my life to demonstrate that everything that I have comes from you, and I want to honor you with this in the way that I live my life. And so a modern-day response to this would be that every time you get paid, you give a gift from it first. It's the first thing you do as a way of honoring the Lord. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But I just want to point out, if you've never done this before, this is a big step. And I recognize that this is a really big step to go from giving nothing or maybe something or from time to time or maybe you've given to other things, but to give back to God or to give back to something like a church or Genesis Church for that matter, that's a big step of faith. I, I know you're communicating a lot of trust in doing that and we just want you to know that that's something we celebrate with you. You know, we, we love that you're willing to take that step with us. And again, it's not about the amount given, uh, but it's about getting every person on board and that's what Paul, that's what Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish here. You know, through Timothy and for the this church in Ephesus is every person on board, everybody trusting, everybody growing together, moving from here to there. The second thing is this, not only to give first, but to practice giving consistently, all right, to, to give consistently. Uh, it's one thing, again, to give for the first time. It's another to repeat it. And if we really want to grow in generosity, and if we really want to break free from the grip of money and it can have on us, we've got to come up with a plan for some consistent growth. Like think about the way this works. I mean, it works in every area of your lives, whether it's a, a training plan for something like a marathon. I, I think about our Noblesville High School band, right? They won state championship, all right, last weekend. That's a big deal, right? And, and they didn't just show up last weekend and somebody handed them a, a routine, a performance, and they all just figured it out on the spot, right? They didn't do that. I mean, it was months and months and months of work and consistency to get to a place where they could be crowned the, the state champ. So they were consistent at it. Well, in the same way, if we want to become generous people, we have to practice generosity consistently. Look at verse 18 again. Paul says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. Not do generous, but be generous. This comes from being consistent. And so part of my challenge for you today is to decide if you're ready to make a move like this, if you're ready to move from here to there in your generosity, to decide what you want to give, to practice giving it first, and then to give it consistently, and to watch and see what the Lord does in your life. And the third thing is this, it's to give in a measurable way. 
To give in a way that it can be measured means that uh, you give some, like some online or you give in an envelope, which are always in the seats. It's something that you can put your name on. And the nice thing about giving online or through the website or the app is that uh, uh, you can set up an automatic or a recurring gift, which helps with the consistency. Uh, but by giving online or by giving through something like an offering envelope, here's something else you can benefit from. We, we provide a quarterly report. Uh, to everyone who gives at Genesis Church so that you can see and verify what you've actually given, all right? And so uh, this is something that we do, Jenny and I do. I mean, we give every month, and so every quarter at the end of the year, we get a report to see what we've given. And it's great for a couple of reasons. Number one, well, when it comes to tax time, all right, there's some great benefit that can come from, from giving like that. But the other part of it is, like, it's just fun. Like, it's fun to see what what the Lord has provided and what you've been able to give and how he follows through on his promises to take care of you and to bless you in all of your needs in your life. And I know that so many of you have experienced just that. You know, you've tested God in this. You've stepped out in faith and given and you've watched the Lord provide and do some amazing things in your heart and life that only he's capable of doing. And so that's my challenge to you today is to pray and consider If you're not doing these things, to consider, am I ready to take this step? Is this something that God wants to do in me, in my life? And what does it look like for me to give first and to give consistently and to give in a way that can be measured? And I'd say for every person. This goes for students too. I I wish somebody would have taught me this. I, I wish somebody would have held me accountable to even whatever little I had as a way of just trusting even as a student, and watching the Lord fulfill his promises that he will provide, that he will take care of us, and he will grow our hearts. It's God's desire for every person uh, to grow in this art of generosity. And why? Because he wants to do something greater in us. And he knows how money can be that barrier. And he knows how quickly, you know, it can prevent us from, from doing and accomplishing what he wants to do in our lives. And so when we practice giving, and we do it consistently, what we do is we open the door for God to do some amazing work in our hearts, in our lives, some work that we could never imagine doing on our own. And just as God wanted to accomplish something so specific in these people in the church at Ephesus, he wants to do that in our church too. Like he wants to work through us collectively as a family and our faith and our generosity to do some amazing things. Let me, let me just say like this. You know, we're going to celebrate 15 years together as a church uh, in a few weeks. And we're going to have a lot of fun. And it's going to be some looking back and some looking ahead. And, you know, as a church, as I think about the 15 years, I've been here for 10 of those now. Like, it's been an amazing journey. All right, it's been an amazing journey to think about where we were and where God has led us to today. And, and I'll just tell you, we're already praying and dreaming about what do these next 15 years look like? I mean, what is it that God wants to do in this next chapter of our church? And how does that apply to disciple making, all right? Because we believe that every person has a part to play. And what does this mean for our prayers, that we pray as a church and pray as individuals? And what does this mean in our partnerships, all right, with other ministries around the world? And how we can help even more people find their way back to God. And I don't know if you know this, but every gift that's given to Genesis, well, we give 10% of every gift away every year to other partners and ministries around the world. And so we've gotten to wonder, you know, what would it look like if over the next 10 or 20 years, like what if, what if we could grow to 20%? Like what if we could set a goal to give 20% away, you know, of our giving to other ministries that are also helping people find their way back to God? And we know that God doesn't need our money, right? He doesn't need these resources. He wants our hearts, all right? And he wants our devotion, all right? And, and if we let him, God can use the generosity of this church to help even more people find their way back to God. Take our, our ministry to kids and students, for example, 
I mean, your giving, your generosity as a church is helping to provide some great staff right now that are leading in these vital areas. Your, your giving and generosity helps provide materials and resources uh, needed to care for our students and to care for our kids every single week. You know, as I, as I look back on, on our last 10 years, I know that there was a time seven or eight years ago where we didn't have enough space for our kids and students anymore. And so you as a church, we gave generously together and we built out more space in this building. And then six years ago, we launched a second campus to make room for even more kids and more students together. And that wouldn't have happened you know, without the help of God, but also your giving and faith and generosity. And now we're watching our ministries grow. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're really growing. And we're really growing right now, especially here at our Noblesville campus. And so we're just praying. We're just asking, Lord, okay, what's this next season look like? You know, and how's God going to provide through us for more? I, I got to tell you just one, one story real quick. Back a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to mix with our middle school students. And uh, mix is a camp that Indiana Wesleyan hosts uh, for five days. And it's a great week where I think there were about 1,000 middle school students there. And they get to sleep in the dorm. They get to eat in the cafeteria. uh, Lots of activities, tournaments, and then big worship services. And I got to tell you, it was just an overwhelming experience for me. It just really just the joy that filled my heart and being a part of this event. I, I want to say this about mix and move would be the same. Hey, as you think about next summer, parents, make plans now to get your kids to mix or to move, all right? It is worth saving for. It is worth planning your vacation around. It is worth missing a week of baseball or band for. Like, there is, it is a great week for our students and the work that God is doing in them and through them uh, through, uh, by such an experience. And it's not just that, too. I mean, as I think about Superstart for our kids, as I think about uh, the Spring Hill Camp that we just hosted and moved, like, these things don't happen apart from your giving. All right, it's your generosity that is providing uh, the opportunity and the ministry for such things. And so I just got to, like, what if we could set a goal? Like, what if it became our desire in these next few years to give to such a place where, you know what, there would be no way for any kid to have to say no. I mean, because even if they couldn't afford it, we could come alongside of them and say, you know what, we've got the resources that you need, and we believe in this so much that we want you to have this experience with us. Here's what the Lord's teaching me about this, attending mix with our middle school ministry. Our kids, and I'm on, I'm on limited time, all right? You're on limited time, all right, if you're an adult. Our kids, they got time, and I'll tell you this, our kids have the potential to change the world. They can do it. They really can. And they've got the opportunity. They, they've, there's the potential, and we will never, ever overinvest in our students, whether it be here locally or things through like young life in our community. They can change their schools. They can make a big difference in this world, and our generosity and faith can be a big part of that. And so this is a process. Again, for us as a church, what does it mean to move from here to there? What does it mean for you and me in our lives to say, this is where I am right now, and this is where I want God to lead me? And how does my giving and generosity play a big part of that? Let's finish with this. Paul goes on to say this about our generosity. Verse 19, he says, if you do this, basically, here's, here's the vision. In this way, you will lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, meaning there are gifts and rewards coming in heaven for our giving and our faith and our trust now. And then this, he says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what God wants for you and me. 
There is a life the world promises that is faulty and will let you down every single time. There is a life that God offers to us that is good and life-changing, and it makes a difference, and it's worth it. And this is the life we've been called to, and you have been called to. And let's just take the ride with the Lord. Let's just see where he wants to lead us. Every single one of us, what's the next step he wants to take through you? Will you trust him? Will you put your faith in him? Let's do this together and see where God wants to lead us from here to there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how you've provided. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your direction. And, you know, man, we, we know this, this is a tough step. And, uh, man, when we start talking about finances and generosity, well, we can see why this was such an important subject to Jesus because he, well, he knew how it gets at us and how it gets at me and how it can, how it can it, it steal away our faith and our hope and our trust. And, and you've got, well, you've got greater promises, Lord. And so will you give us faith? Will you give us the faith to trust you? Will you give us ears to listen to you, Lord, and a desire to take whatever step you have for us next? And we want to do it together as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, will you stand with us? We're going to close uh, with a last song here. It's really a prayer. It's a final response, you know. And I mean, the great thing about our God is that he went first. He gave first. Uh, he modeled the way for us, but maybe more importantly, in the gift of his son, Jesus. And I think he, what he says to each of us today is, hey, you keep looking to Jesus. You keep studying his life. You watch the way he lived. You watch the way he practiced generosity. And then you make every effort to do the same. And that's what we're after. And maybe that's part of our prayer today. And maybe even the response in this song is, okay, I need more of Jesus in my life. And I need faith and I trust and I need new perspective. Let's open up our hearts and lives to him today and just say we want more of Jesus and we want more of Jesus working through us in everything we do. Let's